Thank you, Pastor Gary, for your prayer, and uh, good morning to all of you. It's uh, really good to be with you uh, once again as our uh, Central's Agassiz campus pastor. It's good to work as campus pastors together. Hey, Gary, love it. would encourage you this morning to open your Bibles to Hosea chapter 11. If you uh, don't have a Bible, we do have one for you at the uh, welcome desk, which you saw on your way in. You can pick one up there. And it'll also be on the screen for us this morning. But we're going to be in Hosea 11, the first 11 verses. In her article, which is called Wooing the Wayward, Loving Your Prodigal Until He or She Comes Home, which for our purposes this morning I have slightly uh, supplemented and edited, the author Kelly Araby very powerfully introduces and broaches the subject of the wayward child. She writes, Shattered, your dreams of your children growing up to be godly Christians now lay like splinters of glass on a marble floor. Mom, I'm gay, your son announces. Your daughter reveals, Dad, I've moved in with my boyfriend. Others confirm what you've suspected for a while. She's using The phone pierces the silence of the night, the voice on the other end jolting you awake instantly. We picked up your son last night and have him in custody. The rest of the conversation is just a blur. These words, says Araby, take your breath away. Your child is running not only from God but from you as well. The deception, the confusion, the sin strikes your family with a resounding crack and the fragments pierce your own heart. The smiling, happy, carefree face of your not-so-long-ago grade schooler has been replaced with an expressionless gaze of a troubled young soul that makes your heart ache and your eyes well up whenever you open your wallet and linger on memories past. A family portrait with your son and his partner isn't quite what you had expected to frame and hang in your family room. The missing figure of your daughter who has moved cross-country with her live-in boyfriend leaves a wound that no Christian platitude can mend. Such are the portraits of many a family, many a Christian family, many a family right here right now, today. This is not just an issue that affects the church down the road. (laughs) It's here, now. And it's right here not only among the individual family units that make up this Christian community known as Central Community Church, but it's also here in this Christian community, the family of God. You see, God the Father also has, I believe, I like to picture it, he has a family room with a wall, a portrait wall. He has a wallet that he opens up with pictures of his kids. What does he see? What does he feel? What does he do? What does he say when he stares at the frame on his mantle? What is his way with a wayward child? What is his way with you? What is his way with me? So Hosea chapter 11 is also a portrait. It's a snapshot of God the Father and his heart for the wayward of his family. This is how he feels. This is how he thinks and acts towards each one who bears his resemblance, his name. Hosea 11 verse 1 says, When Israel was a child... I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. 
Will they not return to Egypt? Will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. My compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I put, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Let's take a moment to pray as we just allow this to sink into our hearts and our minds. Lord, and that is my prayer today, God, that this, your word, would sink into our hearts. May this be for us not just an exercise in intellectual reasoning or thought, but that it would go through our minds, past our ears and through our minds and sink deep into our hearts. We want to learn from you this morning because you're our Father. You're our Father. and We want to learn your ways with us so that we can incorporate them into our ways. So would you teach us this morning, Holy Spirit of God, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today's text is so rich, as they all have been, but this one in particular is really unique because Hosea chapter 11 contains, in one chapter, all of the central themes of Hosea. All of the themes that are weaved throughout the fabric of this wonderful challenging book can all be found in Hosea 11. B. Davy Napier, who wrote uh, Prophet Prophetism, understands chapter 11 is not only central to Hosea, but is expressing the content of faith of classical prophetism. For Napier, five themes can be identified here, which James Ward says are the pattern that dominates the book of Hosea although he would understand them a little differently than Napier. But this morning, what I want to do is take the five themes that are found in Hosea 11, which are found throughout the book of Hosea, but are all in this one chapter. I want to explore them with you. These beautiful themes that can transform heartbreaking family portraits into a portrait that God would have us look at. (laughs) And as we explore... Uh, these themes, I'm going to apply some things to each one of us because God's word is for all of us. Because all of us at one time were or are wayward children. But I also want to make special application. I'm going to pause after each theme with a special word of application for parents and for children this morning. So let's get into it. Theme number one, Hosea chapter 11, is election and covenant. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. God's people, not long after being chosen by God, they were elected by him. Abraham was the most significant with whom God made a lasting covenant, but before him there was Adam, there was Noah that God made covenants with. But to Abraham, this lasting covenant, which is repeated and reaffirmed throughout the Bible, God's people, not long after that, some through circumstance, most by birth, all as a result of sin, ended up in Egypt, which is a place of bondage. The 430 years between God's covenant with Abraham and the law which was given to Moses is a period of history that is designed to teach us A lot of things, but essentially I want to boil it down to two things that are as certain as the day is long. Number one, that mankind, though loved and chosen by God, 
is born into sin and remains in bondage to sin apart from, number two, the saving grace and deliverance of God through a Savior who is able to lead his people out of bondage, out of slavery, and into freedom and ultimately to the promised land. That's what that gap teaches us. Back then, it was Abraham who was given this covenant which was passed down to his descendants who ended up in Egypt but were delivered by God through Moses. And today it is we. It is we, the people of God, who are delivered by God from bondage through Jesus. The two things that strike me about this very first verse in our text are this. Love and deliverance. Yes, the heart is wicked and deceitful. Uh, Jeremiah 17 tells us that the heart really is beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's desperately wicked and deceitful. Yes, the world is enslaved to sin. The whole world, the Bible says, is under the control of the evil one. We are surrounded by wickedness. But six of my favorite verses in the Bible are, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not live in bondage, shall not be slaves to sin, but that they would have eternal life. Listen, love, love is the foundation of God's way with his people, his children, whom he has called, whom he has elected. Read Ephesians 1. (laughs) Love is the foundation God's greatest desire for you and for me is that we would be freed from bondage. He loves us and he wants nothing but the best for us. Later on in Jeremiah chapter 20 when God says, I know the plans I have for you. In the midst of some very, very tough things that were going on, he reaffirmed to his people his plans and his love for them. Love is the single most motivating factor in the salvation and the transformation of souls, it is God's way with his wayward child. Listen, parents, this is a word for us, for you, for me. Love must be the foundation of our relationship with our kids. The things that they choose to do, the things that they can get involved in, the friends that they have, the rebellion that they will go through can very quickly and easily lead us to frustration and to anger. But love must be the guiding force. Anything less than love will only drive our kids away. Without love, there is no hope for freedom, for deliverance. That they are yours, mom and dad, given by God, means that you have a covenant with them. If I could encourage you, mom and dad, with one thing this morning, or grandpa and grandma, particularly if you have a wayward child, if I could encourage you with one thing this morning, it would be this. As hard as it may be, particularly if your child is wayward, renew your commitment of unconditional love and your covenant of never-ending faithfulness with your kids. I don't know what it's going to look like for you to do that. It's going to look different for each family that's here this morning. For you, if it means that you get your spouse together or you get a friend with you or your life group around you or whatever it is, and you say, can you have a ceremony with me? Because I want to renew my commitment of unconditional love and my covenant of faithfulness to my kids and I need help doing that. Would you help me? Then make it a ceremony. For you, if it's just a a simple prayer where you say, God, I need your help, would you renew in my heart a love for my kids and my covenant to them of faithfulness, then say a prayer. And here's the next thing that I would encourage you in. Take a moment today, even if all that might be possible at this point for now is just a simple text message. (laughs) Take a moment to remind your kids 
of your love, commitment, and faithfulness to them, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what they are doing. You see, security, even in the midst of rebellion, security for our kids comes in knowing that there is nothing that I have done, there's nothing that I can do, there's nothing that I will do or not do that will make my parents love me less, care for me less, or be committed to me less. Right? Children, kids, I want to speak to you for a moment. I don't know of many cases where parents deep down don't love their kids. Sometimes the way they express it is not the way we as kids would like. I know of few cases where parents truly don't love their kids, but if that is the case for you this morning, not that you just can't believe it or accept it, but it's really true that you have been rejected by your mom or your dad you've been abused, you've been abandoned. Please know this. God, the Father, loves you. And this church family loves you. And we are glad that you're here. I don't say that tritely. God is the Father, the perfect Father, who loves you. There is nothing more important and more life-transforming for you to hear and to know that God loves you. Kids, believe it. And children here this morning, kids who do come from loving homes, I'm sure at times you don't feel loved or accepted or even accept the fact that you are loved by your parents, but know that you are anyway. (laughs) Also know that one day you will understand it, you will be grateful for it. I'm going to say a little bit more about that later. Let's move on. Theme number two. This is the foundation number one is God's covenant with us and his election of us and his love for us. Number two is they went from me. Rebellion. (laughs) But the more I called Israel, verse two, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. You see, because the human heart, as I've already said, is sinful, it is wicked from birth, naturally wicked and sinful, wicked and sinful and deceitful actions are a natural result of the way our hearts are at birth. It's called rebellion. And rebellion simply means to go one's own way, to do things one's own way instead of the way God would have. In, in the context of our earthly families, it means, kids, that you want to do things your own way. You don't want to listen to what mom and dad, to your father, to your mother have to say to you. It's called rebellion. And it's hard for young rebellious hearts, it's hard for old rebellious hearts to realize, that's what God says, they didn't realize all that I had done for them. They didn't understand what I have sacrificed to give them, to do for them. It's called immaturity, it's called ungratefulness. You see, God in the scripture says that he taught his child, he carried him, he healed him, he led him, he lifted him, him. He bent down and fed him and supplied his every need as God does with us today, uh, our children and our lives. But the more he did these things, God said, the further they went from him. They didn't realize it and they didn't accept it. And you know what? There's nothing more heartbreaking and there's nothing more painful for a parent than after you've sacrificed and you've given all you have for your kids that they turn and they walk away. The thing that strikes me about God in this situation is that the foundation never changed, right? He led them, it says, with cords of kindness and with bands or ties of love. Listen, the foundation still has not changed. Before Christ saved any one of us, we were rebellious. I was rebellious. Maybe we still are rebellious but his attitude and his actions toward us have not changed 
You see, if we want to experience and enjoy and be grateful for all that he has done for us and all that he is doing for us, then it's we that need to change. We need to turn our hearts back to God because God cannot and does not change. Isn't that good news? It's good news this morning to know that Jesus, despite anything we can do, we can even pour contempt on the riches of his kindness. It doesn't matter. Jesus' greatest desire is to teach you, to carry you, to heal you, to lead you, to lift you up, to bend down and feed you and supply your needs, to put cords of kindness and bands of love around you, whether or not you receive or appreciate those things. Isn't that good news? It's awesome. That'll never change. So my question this morning to you and to me is, will we turn and receive those things? Will we come to Jesus when he calls instead of going further away? It's called, what I'm talking about is called repentance. That word is going to come up a little bit later. I've already read it this morning. Repentance simply means this. Instead of moving further away from God, we turn around and move toward him. That's repentance. And it's a beautiful thing. Listen this morning, listen. Each one of us sitting in this room this morning has a past. We have a past. That past can't be changed. But it can be forgiven. What I care about this morning is your future. I care that you would embrace all that God has for you in Jesus and that you would respond to his call, that you would turn towards him, and that you would be released of your past and move forward. Would you do that this morning? So here's a practical word for parents on this theme. Parents, rebellion is not a new thing. (laughs) It's not a new thing. So don't panic but also don't live in denial. You see, we need to call a spade a spade. We need to call it like we see it because that's the way God does in our lives. But in, in the rebellion of our kids, take the way, I want to encourage you, take the way of Jesus. We still teach, we still carry, we still heal, we lead, we lift yokes, we supply needs with cords of kindness and with bands of love. Whether or not those things are received or appreciated, even if our kids throw contempt on the things that we do for them, take the way of Jesus. This can be terribly frustrating. It can be angering. But it's the way God deals with his children. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing... Sound familiar, Hosea? Not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. And it's the same with our kids, mom and dad. At times they will show contempt, but we still need to show them God's kindness because it is that which will turn their hearts back to God. And the more we push and prod and get mad and exasperate our kids and do the very things that Paul warned us, especially fathers, trust me, I've been there, Ephesians chapter 6, the more we exasperate our children, the further we drive them away from us. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about this story and here's the thing about the story of the prodigal son in the Gospels. You don't see God running after his child. Do you? You don't see it here. You don't see it in the story of the prodigal. He steadily, patiently waited for them to return. But he did continue to call. I imagine that if God had a mobile phone, he would, off, he would send us a text message once in a while, don't you think? He still phoned. He still called them. But he didn't chase them. Kids, I want to tell you a story. Okay, so at one point in time, I used to be your age. <laughs> I used to be uh, used to be young. I was not uh, the easiest child in the world uh, to raise. 
Although I must say my, parent, uh, my brothers were more difficult. <laughs> I have twin brothers who are three years older to me, and those guys were wild. Most of my rebellion was done behind closed doors, behind my parents' back where I couldn't see it. So there's one time, th three of us, my, my two buddies and I, were scheming about what we would do on a certain Friday night. And so the plan was for these two guys, one of them who is a couple of years older than the two of us, and see, we were like 13, 14, and he already had his driver's license. He had a car. He had parents that didn't pay too much attention, and his dad had a, a fridge in the dairy barn that was full of beer, right? And he could pull as much out of there as he wanted and it just never went missing. And so he'd fill the trunk, and we would go driving. Talk about stupid. Drinking and driving, kids. Don't do that. We got some cops sitting in here. <laughs> All right? Don't do that. So we had this plan to go out driving, drinking, seeing if we could find a party. And my parents caught wind of it somehow. I don't know. I'm not sure how they found out. And they said, absolutely not. You are not getting in that car. They didn't realize that I'd done it a time or two before, but they said this time, because they knew, you are not getting in that car. And they put their foot down. I was mad. My Friday night, my fun was spoiled, and I was choked. But I reflect back on that day, and I think to myself, what would have happened had I got in that car? You see... Two guys, I found out later, they just drove around for a while. It was boring. They went back home. But you see, I was, I was a bit of an instigator, right? I could use a word. Probably shouldn't get that on video. <laughs> I knew how to stir the pot. So you add a third. You add a fourth or a fifth person in that car. Then things get out of hand. Then you go find that party and then there's devastation. And I, I, I reflect back on that situation, I wonder, would I even be standing here this morning preaching had my parents not exercised loving kindness tied with cords of, of love around me? Ties of love. I didn't see it then, but I do now. Kids, I want to say to you this morning, someday you will realize just how much your parents love you. You don't realize it now. In fact, you hate it. But to know and experience it, you will need to turn towards your parents, not away from them. And when you turn towards them, your life will go much, much better because stage three or theme number three in Hosea 11 is this. They shall return to Egypt. What does that mean? They're going to go right back to that place of bondage. Versus, this is the theme of judgment. Verses 5 through 7 says this, Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them, because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates, put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. As we learned last week, if you were here, that to be stubborn, to be rebellious, to be not teachable or submissive to God means that he literally has no other option but just to turn us over to our own devices, right? Which ultimately leads to destruction. It puts us right back into bondage. And ultimately, if we look at the big picture of the Bible, we have to be thinking the final judgment, which is a serious, serious thing. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And so to submit this morning, friends, to Christ's care and to his control in our lives, to be submissive to what he would have for us to turn to him is imperative. It's urgent because eternity is at stake. And if I can spare just one person here this morning, even one of you from judgment and destruction, if I could snatch just one soul from the fires of hell, then this sermon would be worth it.
Would you repent this morning? That, sound, that word sounds so negative, doesn't it? But it's the farthest thing from the truth. As I've already said, it just simply means instead of running from God, you turn it on and run to him. So would you do that this morning? Would you be freed from your bondage? Would you come to Christ who called you out of Egypt through the sacrifice of his son on the cross? Would you come to Jesus? You see, he's already forgiven your sin. He's elected you for eternal life. All you need to do is receive that. Would you turn around and run to him today? Would you do that? So here's the word of application for parents. The hardest thing to do, but one which you must do, is to turn your kids over to their own devices. (laughs) That is hard. What this means is to allow them to experience the full consequences of their choices. We need to know the difference between helping our kids and enabling our kids. We cannot and we must not take responsibility for the things that they are responsible for because enabling them, as verse I equate it with what verse 7 says, is to exalt them. God says, my people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. In other words, God's not going to give them what they want if they turn. He's not going to enable their choices or their bad behavior. They have to live with that and come to a place where they're ready to change. That's hard. Kids, I want to talk to the children here for a moment this morning. It doesn't matter how old you are, teenager, young child, older child, it doesn't matter. Please know this, that the last thing that your parents want for you is destruction. That's the last thing they want. But if you continue to turn from them and not to them, they cannot, as the Bible says, exalt you. It's not the way of God. They must let you struggle on your own even though they don't want to see you struggle. It's painful to see you struggle. But please know this, kids, that that doesn't mean that they have stopped loving you. Or what you're going through is somehow their fault. Right? In fact, just the opposite is true. The more you struggle, kids, the more your parents' hearts are changed and softened. Trust me. This is theme number four. God, this is compassion. God says in verse 8 and 9, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? You know those two towns are? Those are on the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah who were completely consumed, destroyed, and devastated along with the judgment that came at that time. That's what these two towns are. And then God says, My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. It's a beautiful picture of God, isn't it? In verse 8, the second part of verse 8, where it says, my heart is changed within me, where God says that. Uh, In the English Standard Version, it says, my heart recoils. My heart recoils. It's a very, very powerful, very active verb in the original language. Has anybody here ever uh, fired a shotgun? There's a bunch. If you've ever fired a shotgun or a high-powered firearm of any kind, you'll understand recoil. You know what God's heart does when he thinks that his people are being devastated? He's like, oh. That's what that means. His heart does one of those. It's a violent, jerking motion. God's heart recoils at the thought of the devastation of his kids. So he did something about it. If you read a little bit more, verse 9, it talks about 
the Holy One among you who will not come in wrath. You know what? That is prophetic of Jesus who came to us in flesh. Jesus is God who was given to us in the form of man in in flesh, who did not come in wrath. Rather, he bore the wrath of God upon the cross that we might not come under the wrath of God. Amen? That's good news. God so can't stand the thought of our, of our devastation and destruction that he gave his son who would bear the wrath of God for us. And if you continue to read what the apostle wrote in Romans 2, which I've already referred to, Paul says, though, that the, the wrath of God is reserved for all who reject the truth, for those who continue to reject Jesus Christ, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. There is nothing but wrath. You see, our sin, our rebellion, needs to be dealt with. It has to be paid for. And it was by Jesus Christ on the cross, on your behalf, on my behalf. As you found out last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, I'll let you know. I grew up um, in a part of the world, part of our country, where it actually gets cold. Uh, Saskatchewan. So, anyway, our first church that we pastored was in Borden, Saskatchewan. The church itself, Borden is this town of like 250 people, and the church was 16 miles from town on Grid Road, out in the middle of nowhere. Beautiful place to live. It was. It just got cold. Nonetheless, the church owned a, a parsonage, a manse, that the pastor would live in. So we lived in this place that was built in 1900 and something. And back in the day, these homes would be uh, insulated with like wood shavings, right? So like 100 years later, these shavings are like about a third of the height is what they normally were inside the walls. So Marcy and I literally would be lying in bed at night in our room with this brutal west wind blowing, and our curtains and everything would just be flapping. It's coming right through the windows, right through the walls. So I had enough of this after a couple of years of doing this. So I said to my neighbor, farmer, I said, can you do me a favor? On your way back from like a baling after harvest, like September, October, can you just dump a load of bales in my yard? So what I did is then I went to the co-op at a store and I bought, I bought a, a big sheet of plastic and I literally shrink wrapped my house and I piled bales up against it. But I had to leave a gap where the heater fuel tank was because that still needed to be filled. So um, so I called up the heater, uh, the, the co-op, the truck driver one day, and I said, look, my tank is just about empty. Can you fill it up? It's like December, right? Brutally cold year. He come fill it up. And this thing is like, you know, 350, 400 bucks to fill, you know, back then. And I was, uh, I, I knew it had to be done but I was dreading paying for it because it's, ju it's just before Christmas and that tank is gone in a month. And so the bill came and I went to the co-op store in town to pay my bill and the manager met me and I said, hey, I got you know, to square up with you. He says, you know what, Ellen, somebody already took care of it. Your bill is paid. Friends, that's just a small picture of what Jesus did for you, what he did for me. Pay the bill. So much compassion he has on us. Parents, a word to you. Are your hearts stirred and aroused to compassion for your child, for your wayward child? Or are you storing up your wrath for them? <laughs> you know what your kids, what, here's a question. What do your kids need? I didn't ask what they deserve. <laughs> I just asked what they need. All right? What do they need? Chances are that because of all of the choices that they've already made, they've been beat up plenty by life, maybe even literally. They, I can guarantee you they have beat themselves up. And they don't need it from you.
So don't give up, Mom. Don't give up, Dad. Don't let your hearts become hard like your kids is because how are theirs supposed to become soft if ours aren't first? Oh man, this is one of the biggest lessons that I've been learning and have had to learn. I'm going to come back to that. Kids, I want to say to you this morning, your actions have a profound impact on your parents. If you've been rebelling for some time, and now maybe you are fearful of your parents' response, should you return and repent, I would say to you this morning, stop living in fear. My guess is that your parents' heart are probably softer than you would think. Yeah, you'll probably come back to some trembling, <laughs> with some trembling. We're going to get to that in a minute. But your parents, I can guarantee you, kids, your parents' greatest desire is to see you settled, to see you settled where you belong. That leads me to number five. God said, I will return them to their homes. This is the theme of redemption. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars... His children will come. Whew. You know what? You know what, friends? <laughs> the greatest thing that we need and the greatest thing that our kids need, first and foremost, before counseling, before therapy, before intervention, before all of these things, is our kids need the Lord. They need to hear the voice of God and respond to that voice. And we need to pray like never before that whoever is not walking with the Lord and whoever is not in right relationship with their parents that they would hear the roar of the Lord, not the roar of us. So who do you suppose this lion is? The lion of Judah, the lamb who was slain. Read Revelation chapter 5. Unless our kids hear the roar of the line of Judah, things won't change. They need Christ. We need Christ in the rebellion of our hearts. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, said this, Not long ago I heard from a pastor friend who was battling with his 15-year-old daughter. He knew she was using birth control and several nights she had not bothered to come home at all. The parents had tried various forms of punishment to no avail. The daughter lied to them, deceived them, found a way to turn the tables on them. It's your fault. It's your fault for being so strict. My friend told me, said Yancey, I remember standing before the plate glass window in my living room staring out into the darkness, waiting for her to come home. I felt such rage. I wanted to be like the father of the prodigal son, yet I was furious with my daughter for the way she would manipulate us and twist the knife to hurt us. And of course, she was hurting herself more than anyone. I understood then the passages in the prophet's expressing God's anger. The people knew how to wound him and God cried out in pain. And yet I must tell you, when my daughter came home that night, or rather the next morning, I wanted nothing in the world so much as to take her in my arms, to love her, to tell her I wanted the best for her. I was a helpless, lovesick father. Nancy says, now when I think about God, I hold up that image of the lovesick father, which is miles away from the stern monarch I used to envision. I think of my friend standing in front of the plate glass window, gazing achingly into the darkness. I think of Jesus' depiction of the waiting father, heartsick, abused, yet wanting above all to forgive 
to begin anew, to announce with joy, this is my son who is dead, but is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. Excuse me. The interesting and the beautiful thing about this prophecy in Hosea is that it all points to Christ. If you loop back all the way to verse 1 for a moment, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. And then you read Matthew chapter 2, the account. (laughs) Thank you very much. the account of the birth of Jesus. And after his birth, he was presented with gifts by the Magi, and then they left. And Matthew says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, through the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. Did Matthew get it wrong? I mean, I thought this was about Israel being delivered from bondage. Exactly. What do you think Jesus came to do? The line of Judah, the lamb who was slain, who was called out of Egypt to set us free from the bondage of our sin, to free us. It's God's way with a wayward child like me, like you. As I close in prayer this morning, I feel compelled uh, to pray in a, in a special way for anyone here this morning, particularly parents, but there could be grandparents, aunts and uncles, siblings, who have been or are being impacted by the reality of a wayward child. And just in case you were thinking as I preached this morning, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor, you haven't walked in my shoes. I want you to think again. See, Marcy and I could write a book about this, (laughs) but we're not ready for that. We're not. And the reason I haven't said too much on a personal level uh, is because our story and our reality with this issue is with one of our children, and it's ongoing. The uh, final chapter has not been written. It's pretty fresh. And we've seen glimpses of stage number five, but we're not there yet. And so I do not want to jeopardize a tender relationship. That's why I haven't said too much. Because Chilliwack is a small town, let's face it. Not as small as Borden, but it's small. (laughs) But I just want to say that my wife and I have walked many miles in these shoes. And most of what we've learned, we have learned by making mistakes. So we just need you to pray. We need you to support. We need you to encourage. And by we, I mean not just uh, my wife and I, but... uh, all of us who have kids in this situation. And every person who's wayward from God. What they need first is prayer, support, and encouragement. I was thinking this morning, we have uh, seven pastors on staff now. And if you don't think uh, pastoral leaders and church leaders are under attack, think again. Um, I counted up between the seven of us, I think we have 21 children, most of them very young, or grandchildren on our staff. If you, if you expand that to include like everyone on staff, the number is around 30. I, I couldn't nail it down this morning, but that's a lot of kids in church leadership, families. We need your prayer. And we want to uphold you in prayer. We don't need gossip. We don't need guilt or judgment. We don't need the advice of Job's friends. (laughs) And often the fingers are pointed at the parenting, but do we do that with God? 
his kids rebel. So we need to pray. We need to pray that our kids will hear the roar of the Lord and respond to his voice. And we hope and pray that in our situation we don't go back yet again to a repeat of number two and number three. (laughs) But some of you this morning are in there. You're right in the middle of that. And so you need prayer. Would you just bow your heads with me this morning? Invite the worship team up as we respond. And so maybe just with our eyes closed so we're not looking around at each other, if there's a parent here this morning, a grandparent, a sibling who's been so wounded, so hurt by the issue of a wayward child, just give me a nod and a wave. Uh, Put your hand up a little bit. There's one, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's lost seven. So many. I want to pray especially for you this morning. And there's people here who are wayward from God and you need to return. I make no bones about that. There is a communication card in front of you in the, in the chair and um, if you want to renew a relationship with Christ, you want to return, you want to repent, it's a beautiful thing. And we would love to help you with that, to be able to have a relationship with Jesus, your loving Heavenly Father once again. Maybe you don't know him at all and you want to come to Christ. Indicate that on your card. Leave it at the welcome desk. Bring it to me and we will connect and pray together later. Father, I lift up these beloved children of God to you this morning, knowing that you are a perfect heavenly Father who has, who loves us and has compassion on us and has made a way for us to be delivered by the, through the, uh, uh, from the bondage of sin through the sacrifice of Christ. And his compassion for us is great. His mercies are new and unfailing every day for us. And we praise you, Lord, that you have redeemed us out of Egypt. You have called us. You shed your blood to buy us. And so I pray this morning that anyone here this morning who needs to return and for the kids among us and the families represented who have wayward children, oh Lord, would, they, would, would you unstop their ears so they can hear the roar of the Lord, the Lion of Judah. Lord, would you do that? They need to hear from you. Rescue them, Father. Help them to respond to you. We thank you for your word and for your work among us. In Jesus' name, amen.